0: This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen, it's the best.
1: (laughs) Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with an awesome person, somebody that I like in general, but I like even more because she is also wearing all black, just like I do. Uh, great writer, Molly Hodgden. Hello. Thank you for coming and doing this.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. Do you feel more comfortable uh, being known as Molly Hodgden or as Molly Manglewood? I think a lot of people know you by your right. Twitter handle.
0: Well, Manglewood is a word that I made up a long time ago and I just, I liked it. It sounded like a terrible um like the name of a town in a bad horror movie or something. (laughs) I love horror movies. And I started using it as a last name um, because I wanted at least a veneer of anonymity because I was in grad school. Okay. um, And I didn't want, like, professors to be able to look up these (laughs) awful, obscene, absurd (laughs) jokes that I make. Um, So now that I'm doing more writing, I'm kind of transitioning to using my real name um and since i graduated from school
1: so you're more comfortable having it out there yes yeah but yeah. manglewood is an awesome handle <laughs> especially you. now that i know that it's a murder town <laughs> 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 it makes me like it even more <laughs> uh so we've been starting the podcast by taking a listener question so people write in questions with detailing their obsession and then a question about it will you uh, help me answer a question
0: of course yeah here we
1: go this is from anna onderhagen who is a person that i uh, knew back when i lived in minnesota And Anna says, I'm obsessed with the similarities between Lincoln and Kennedy presidencies. Both their vice presidents and successors after their assassinations were named Johnson. They were elected to the House of Reps in 46 and president in 60. They were both shot in the head on a Friday. Oh, I could go on and on, says Anna. (laughs) It is just wacky. Is there some strange convergent energy happening? Is this a connection with the Illuminati? What is going on? Do you have thoughts on that? (laughs)
0: I'm afraid I'm kind of a giant bummer on things like this because I'm very much a skeptic. Okay. I mean, to the point of like, you know, I actually listen to skeptic podcasts and, um, you know, news feeds and stuff like that. And so I don't really believe in any convergent energies or secret societies. And I suspect – I don't know if this is true, but I suspect if you pick any two, you know, random people, if you work hard enough, you can find – what will seem like alarming coincidences right. if you pull them out of their entire lifetime
1: right it's not like lincoln was also having an affair with marilyn monroe sometimes yeah some sort of oldie timey marilyn monroe yeah named marilyn exactly monroe. right <laughs> yeah yeah i i that's my general reaction too uh i suspect that that is uh anna's general thought but maybe anna does believe in convergent energies right. and i certainly won't insult that but the thing that i like to think of if there is some sort of like convergent energy or power that is creating these things it's not uh, uh, communicating very well, because right. these <laughs> things sound important, like both of these presidents shot in the head on a Friday, like, okay, well, great, we'll get better at communication, convergent energy. Right. What does that mean?
0: It's like with ghosts, where they're, it's incredibly important that they communicate to you who their murderer was, or something like that, but instead of just writing it clearly on a mirror they're like shaking the pot rack in the kitchen and stacking chairs like i don't know what it is about i feel like our manner of communicating is pretty straightforward and it wouldn't be that hard for the convergent energy or the ghost to get a pretty simple message across
1: but i like that idea that you can only come back as a ghost if you're already really bad at communication
0: There's like the spectral <laughs> <laughs> dyslexia that that sets in.
1: Yeah, if you're good at charades, you cannot come back to the ghost <laughs> exactly. because you would communicate too efficiently. Right. So screw you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that helps a little bit, Anna. That's really cool. I had never known that there were all those uh, similarities, and I think that they do take on weight because these are you yeah. know, two of our most famous presidents. Uh, but but we think either just coincidence. Or really bad at communicating convergent energy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Can we uh, tell the people listening a little bit about who you are and what you do?
0: Well, my name is Molly Hodgdon, obviously. I live in northern Vermont with my boyfriend and our two cats and a pet tortoise. I'm a native Vermonter, and my parents are native Vermonters. We go back a long time there. I'm a writer, kind of finding my footing now. Um I was in grad school for a few years for criminology, getting a master's degree in criminology. Um, I just graduated a couple months ago, and so now I'm full-time just putting feelers out trying to find uh you know where I fit in the writing world
1: yeah you know we met because you're a contributing writer for Rift tracks yes and that's kind of an interesting combination that you are a criminology expert yes. at this point <laughs> and also uh, write some jokes to make fun of movies
0: yeah it is odd and that happened completely by accident it really fell into my lap out of the blue because of Twitter um I started using that like three or four years ago expecting it would just be a way to sort of communicate back and forth with people I knew locally yeah and then eventually I started of accumulating more followers
1: because you're really funny oh
0: well thank you I don't know <laughs> <laughs>
1: um
0: but yeah, I was like, who are these people? Why they're total strangers and they're, why do they care about this nonsense just gushing out of my head? And then eventually Bill Corbett started following me on Twitter and sent me a message asking, I don't know if this has anything to do with your life or goals, but would you like to audition for riff tracks? And I was just like, no way, this will never, ever happen, but I would be an idiot if I didn't at least try. Yeah. And that, you know, that was like a little over two years ago. So um, I don't. it worked out, I guess. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> so now when you say you're looking toward writing, do you mean for criminology or do you mean for comedy or uh, for comedy criminology?
0: <laughs> that would be great someday yeah. if I could get some combination, <laughs> um, which exists. I mean, they're comedy comedic you know police procedural shows and stuff yeah
1: you're yeah born for brooklyn 99 right right
0: <laughs> <laughs> um i'm definitely getting more comedy uh connections more comedy networking opportunities and stuff yeah um you know offers to audition for one thing or another but i, r- I really would like to write more serious criminology stuff eventually <laughs> i would like to start a blog soon my own blog and write essays about things like gun control and, uh, you know, prison reform and other more serious things, which would still be in my voice where I can't help like swearing and making snarky comments. Yeah. Um, But hopefully eventually that will get the attention of editors and journalists who I might find some opportunities there. So I'm not really assertively – trying to market myself. I'm just kind of like (laughs) doing the things that are funny and interesting to me. And it seems like the kind of people I need to be aligned with sort of come to me, but not through a cosmic harmonic
1: convergent
0: <laughs> <laughs> energy it's all practical i swear
1: <laughs> cool well i hope uh the practical energies of the universe <laughs> which are like twitter and stuff yeah uh keep working well for you so let's get into your obsession which kind of uh, relates to what you actually do and what you're actually an expert in yeah uh for ease of like topic we said criminal psychology, but it's a little bit more uh, complex than that, right? Uh, Yeah. Or or a little bit more specific within criminal psychology. So you are interested in why people allow themselves to break rules, like what sort of psychology goes on that allows them to break the rules of society in both big and small ways?
0: Yes. Yeah. Because I think we tend to think of criminals very black and white, us and them, and that criminals are just this species that is separate from humans and they do things that we could never imagine doing. But it, it's really a continuum. I mean, we always, we make these decisions about, am I going to roll through the stop sign? Or yeah. am I going to speed because I just want to get home from work and watch TV? Um, am I going to throw this recyclable thing in the garbage instead of washing it because I just don't want to get my hands icky? Like, there's yeah. these moral and legal decisions that we all make all the time. And there are various forces that, you know, influence our decisions. And with criminals, they just have different influences going on than most of us do. Yeah.
1: But I like the motivation of I didn't want to get my hands icky. Right. I think it's a really good motivation <laughs> for breaking law. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get my hands icky. Um, so are you more interested in those, uh, what I'll call mundane breaking of law, or are you more interested in the true crime, m- murder and death, and that kind of thing?
0: It's hard for me to pick. I'm definitely interested in the murder and death and true crime, but I've I've never gotten into it much as like a genre of literature or TV. Okay. Um, just because I'm interested in the details of the, the crimes and the interviews with the offenders, but there reaches a point where I feel like it feels gross. Like I'm just gaining titillation from details that I don't need to know. Like in the true crime TV shows, they'll show pictures of the bodies or of the bloody crime scene, or they'll play the 911 call. And that doesn't really contribute to my knowledge. It's just like these thrilling details. And I don't like that because then I'm just gaining entertainment because of someone else's suffering. So I'm definitely interested in, you know, reading a lot about crime and all of the details of specific crimes, but it has to be in a more sort of dry academic setting.
1: Right. Okay. And tell me if I'm wrong on this, but I feel like for some kinds of murder, like serial killers, there is something literally wrong with the person's brain, that they're functioning in a very different way than a person. Whereas, like, rolling through a stop sign... Or stealing from work, we can all think of ourselves as good people, but at the same time justify. Is that a fair distinction or is that overly simplistic?
0: It is fair. And with serial killers, yeah, there is definitely something fundamentally wrong with either an emotional or personality disturbance. It's like with most people, like a car that isn't working and you can open the hood and see what's wrong with the engine. But with a serial killer, it's more like you open the hood and there's just no engine there. There's, like, nothing recognizable right. Right that you could fix. Yeah. Um, so they're obviously in the minority of criminals, like the fast minority. There's not that many Serial killers compared to other murderers.
1: Um, Yeah, like nowhere near as many in reality as there are on television. Right. Like Dexter would run out in real life. Yes, yeah. Yeah.
0: And they, I think that's why people are so fascinated, obviously, because they are rare and their behavior is so extraordinarily different and inconceivable to us.
1: So do you remember when you first started thinking about why humans obey laws or rules and what would happen if they didn't? Do you have like— Was that a calling to you when you were young? Did you start thinking about it as a kid?
0: Yeah, I did. Um, Because I started thinking about why people do the right thing or the wrong thing when I was little. Because most people go through these stages of moral development where, at first, children are kind of without morals entirely. Right. And they'll do the right thing only because they fear punishment. Right. Like, they know... I'll get in trouble for this, not, you know, I'll actually hurt the cat if I do this. And then they sort of grow into, I shouldn't pull the cat's tail, not because I'll get in trouble, but because the cat will be hurt.
1: Right. I had that when I was a kid, we had a poodle. And uh, once I was sort of a sentient, I was like, why does the poodle like my brother better? And my mom was like, you used to touch the poodle's eyes. Oh, God. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like four, and I was horrified oh. at little three-year-old monster me that would touch the poodle's eyes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I interrupted you. So, you so the kids start with basically kind of no development, and then what's the next step?
0: Then you start to gain empathy yeah. um, for other people and creatures and start to gain the ability to see things from other people's perspectives. So it's because, and then people sort of get arrested at different stages okay. of those. So it's like some people never grow out of, I shouldn't do this only because I might get caught. And then other people progress to these more evolved stages of having empathy for other people within their families, but not caring about anyone else. Yeah. Or caring about the people who are only in their community, but not the greater world. And then, you know, the people who actually spend a lot of their time worrying about the state of the entire world (laughs) yeah you know being very aware of their actions and how they affect not only themselves and the people around them but you know
1: do you think of yourself as a very empathetic person who worries about like the big picture of humanity
0: uh, I think I do, yeah, I'm fairly politically active, and of course, every person they think that their political perspective is the one that will save <laughs> humanity um But I do happen to think that <laughs> my politics are are more empathetic and and I worry a lot about animals and uh, you know, donating time and money to our animal shelters. And I try to, I'll, I'll wash out the icky recycling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I know if I throw it away, I'll just feel guilty and I'll dig it out of the trash later and it'll be even worse.
1: Okay. So that is, that is for both like the betterment of society and then also for yourself though, right? Because you're yeah. recycling because that is what is best for everyone. You're being empathetic, but then at the same time you're saying to yourself, I personally will feel guilty and I will have that Punishment. Yes. If I don't do the empathetic thing. Yeah. So it is kind of both functioning at the same time, both levels.
0: Oh, sure. I think some people can't admit that when they do something which they're internally and to other people insistent that it's purely altruistic. But there's always a selfish part of it where you do it because it makes you feel like a good person. Yeah. And it makes you feel superior to anyone who would not do the same
1: thing <laughs> yeah i don't think there's anything wrong with that i think that's just a part of how we're wired <laughs> yeah. I, I just try to accept that of like well right <laughs> I, I might be breaking my arm patting myself on the back but other people still benefited from me doing yeah the better choice yeah uh so do you have a time that you remember as a kid where you were making a choice to be Good or to do the right thing or the non-criminal thing because it was for the good of society or analyzing those kind of moments?
0: Well, my parents used to, they would work during the day, and so I would get dropped off at my grandmother's house in the morning before school. And um, I think she had, like, this beautiful old... well, it was beautiful to me at the time. I think it was actually like crappy costume jewelry, um, <laughs> like this crucifix thing. And um, I wanted it. And I was like considering stealing it because I realized she would never miss it because she was like a very sleepy person. And
1: <laughs> had, sleepy <laughs> grandma won't right? miss her crucifix.
0: <laughs> right. And I was like, but what is what are the kind of pros and cons of this? I won't get caught, but I'll feel terrible and it will sort of be hurting her whether she realizes it or not and I'm a very new human being and like how am I going to conduct myself for the rest of my life and this is I felt like it was a crossroads (laughs) like you know whether or not I was going to steal the thing and you know what I think I took it and then I put it back like I almost went down that dark path (laughs) and I I walked myself back
1: oh Um, I love real life things that are (laughs) Almost too on the nose to be put in, like, a story. Yeah. Like, if I wrote the development of, like, a good character, and it was, they stole their grandmother's crucifix. Oh, that's right, yeah. Of all things to steal, a crucifix. It wasn't just a
0: thing. It was a a crucifix.
1: And then I realized, I did not want to go down that crossroads.
0: (laughs) Right. Oh, my God, it's terrible. But that's cool that you were- And it's crossroads, and it was a cross, ugh-
1: it's just it's My awful writing. My life is so here. hacky. <laughs> Great real life though. <laughs> Terrible writing. Way to live a real life. So you you were describing I think some pretty high-end thinking though for a kid that you were cognizant that you were a new person and that you were making choices yeah about your development.
2: Yeah. I and mean, that's pretty advanced. I guess
0: so. I don't uh, maybe the I was an only child. <laughs> okay. And like we lived way out in the country where there were no like neighbor kids for me to play with. So I think I just spent a lot of time by myself. Okay. So I ended up just like more introspective and we didn't have, there wasn't really any TV reception or there was just like nothing to do. I was just out in the woods by myself. Okay. So <laughs> I think I ended up sort of pondering things more Okay. Um, than other kids my age might have.
1: Okay, do you think growing up was it was it creepy to grow up in the woods or did you have nothing else to compare it to? So the stereotype of being alone in the woods wasn't creepy. Uh,
0: it didn't seem creepy to me at all. I mean, I did not have any basis of comparison. The biggest city in Vermont, Burlington, is tiny. It's not. I mean, people usually say city with air quotes okay. <laughs> around Burlington, um, and that was the big city to me. So I didn't really know about suburbs or kids who had cable and and stuff like okay. that. It was normal.
1: So did you have books? Did you listen to the radio? What did you sit around the campfire and tell stories? How did you like <laughs> collect narrative? Uh, if you didn't have a lot of television.
0: Well, we lived right down the road from my. The dairy farm that my mom's side of the family still runs. Okay. And that was where my grandmother was, where I would get dropped off. Uh, so I was around these adults a lot, and I would hear them telling stories. And, you know, there was always, like, a cow that was hurt or a cow that was giving birth or it was hunting season. And, you know, they were butchering cows or deer in the garage, and there was always, like, stuff going
1: on. So there's, like, like a cow soap opera, like, the days of our cow lives going on. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Nice.
0: Um, And we listened to the radio, but it was just my parents playing NPR. Okay. Um, There wasn't any pop culture. Okay. Any of that.
1: Was that, did that affect any of your views on criminology and criminal psychology when you were had this sudden exposure to pop culture, which I think has a ton of fascination about crime and criminals and murderers. Was that? Do you remember? Like, did you go to uh, high school or college, or get this like sudden explosion of pop culture exposure?
0: Yeah, I we moved to a slightly bigger town when I was eight, um, so I had some classmates who had like new kids on the block. Posters and crime. <laughs> who had like MTV and okay. stuff that I wasn't really that exposed to, and they had like their older brothers' action movies, and um, so I started to see more. I became really fascinated with horror movies. Which okay, I still I love horror movies. I um, no matter how bad it is, I'll watch any horror movie, um, even like the good bad or the bad bad. Yeah, <laughs> <Like, laughs> there is a difference. <laughs> And I think it was through horror movies that I started, there was like this real differentiation between fictional violence. I can handle any amount of it. Of blood gore. Yeah, anything. I, I don't flinch or cover my eyes or anything like that. But if it's something real, like even a recording of a 911 call where someone is panicking, I, I'll hear it echoing in my head for yeah. weeks afterwards, and it just completely freaks me out.
1: Interesting. And that seems in line with the other things that you're saying, that you have a highly developed sense of empathy.
0: Yeah. I think, I don't think that's something I would ever say about myself, because it sounds like something that, I don't know, clueless new age people who burn incense would say about themselves. <laughs> but, <laughs>
1: I'm going to light my empathy candle. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Exactly. But... Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that was why I went into criminology. I think I wanted to be able to help or somehow, you know. Okay, so it illuminate. was not
1: wanting to like understand how different people think, but more like wanting to help people because the criminals are people. It's not us versus them.
0: Yeah. And, like, there are – the justice system since the 80s or so um, has been very much about punishing criminals. And, yeah. like, harsher sentences will make them think twice and they won't, you know, commit crimes again. And uh, the exact opposite has happened. Yeah. Um, you know, our sort of punitive mindset – does not actually reduce crime at all. Um, And the only way to reduce crime and reduce victims and reduce harm and reduce suffering is to treat them like human beings who have made human decisions. Right. um, You know, not like awful woodland, you know, fantasy creatures (laughs) that come out during the full moon.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I want to get back to that idea because that's fascinating that we all break these little laws uh, and rules. And sometimes we think of them as... Oh, they're little, but they're actually like hugely actively criminal things, and we don't think of ourselves as criminal. yeah. do you do or have you done things like that?
0: Yeah. I mean, i've I speed in my car. Um, I think I shoplifted a few things when I was a teenager. I know I've rolled through stop signs, but i I think I'm probably more aware of stuff like that than um I think most of the people I know. And then, like following the rules, like, reading the signs in the bank about where you're supposed to stand in line okay. and, you know, little things like that. I try to be, like, compliant, maybe too much so at times. <laughs> but uh, I sort of think that most rules exist for a reason, which is for the betterment of everyone. Yeah. Um, and it's not just like a buffet where you can pick and choose what you feel like doing.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I think there is like that sort of peer pressure thing that makes you feel okay about breaking laws and rules. And some things I've done that I'm not proud of when I track back, why did I do that? It's often because everyone else around me was doing it. Yes. So at a certain point, it's not even like, well, everybody's doing it, so I'm going to be cool and I'm going to shoplift too. But it's more like the, it, it starts to wear you down to where like, well, maybe society doesn't actually value that law. Maybe we just say we do. So it's okay if I don't follow it, but yeah. then often, like, then I would still feel bad and go, wait, oh, wait, that was a wrong thing to do. Yeah. And I legitimately feel bad about it.
0: Yeah, and I I think that there are certainly many laws that are wrong, and and they are not just, and they hurt people, but... I think it's really important that people make note of that and they work to change the laws instead of just ignoring them. <laughs> right. Because if you just ignore them, then nothing ever gets better. Like, I, one thing that I've been pretty active in is, um, decrimi- decriminalizing, um, sex work.
3: Okay. Because
0: I think that laws against prostitution, they do not help anyone. They don't help individuals. Right. They don't help communities. It just hurts mostly women. But I, I wouldn't, actually condone anyone doing the illegal thing but i understand why they do it and that's one of the reasons why i you know have donated and, and okay volunteered work to change it
1: right so it seems like you're you're fascinated with the actual the acts and the psychology but also the sort of the structures around them that that make them technically legal or illegal
0: yeah like why do laws exist in the first place what is the purpose of them and it's different for every law. I mean, you, some of them are, like, based on historical prejudices that just kind of never got, you know, that thread just never was pulled out of the the weave of our justice system for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah. You know, based on antiquated morality, you know, based on just practical or infrastructure or, you know, technology that no longer exists. Yeah. Um, but these laws keep hanging around. But again, I think it's extremely important for people to know the laws and be aware of the ones that are not right, again, so that we can change them, not just be like,
1: No stupid. <laughs> is, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So when you do violate a rule, like speeding, for example, mm-hmm. what is your personal rationale? What is going through your head since you're so highly involved in thinking through these things? What, what is your justification to yourself?
0: I, I think usually I do it without thinking. And then when I realize, um, I start thinking what if a raccoon ran out in front of you right now and you hit the raccoon and you would know for the rest of your life that you killed it. And if you had been going slower, you might have had enough time, you know, reaction time to stop and okay. it would be alive and it would be out there having babies right now. And <laughs> maybe it would name one of the babies after you. You don't know. Uh, so, I'll like talk myself out of whatever rationalization I might have. Like, I'm okay. late for an appointment.
1: That's very helpful, uh, specifically being here in Los Angeles, where <laughs> you can feel justified because, like, it's never your fault that you're late. Somebody's always cutting you off because yeah. everybody in Los Angeles, not everybody, a lot of people have that. My thing is really important, so it's okay if I just cut you off. So, the right. next time that I'm speeding, uh, I will try to picture a raccoon giving birth. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe holding your grandmother's crucifix (laughs) just to add extra guilt.
0: Yeah. Well, there's that solipsism that everyone has where, you know, the things that I'm doing, it has priority over what everyone else is doing. And, like, I can talk on my phone when I'm driving because I'm a good multitasker. And, you know, it's just not true. This isn't, like a tv show and you're the main character you know we're all you know there are separate universes in everyone else's heads and you know if everyone just was a little more aware of that yeah things would go more smoothly
1: i was i was told by a very weird teacher in high school he wasn't even our teacher i don't even know where he came from he came to high school
0: (laughs) Guy showed up
1: yeah yeah, i i don't remember (laughs) like obviously he did have a pass he wasn't like Zoro. he didn't go in with like a mask but uh But he was talking to us when I think I was in uh, 11th grade about how high school students can just start going to college and get credits and you can skip some of your, you know, depending on the various programs. Uh, But then he just kind of launched into a tirade about the nature of America and our perceptions (laughs) of what it means to be American. And one of his big things was America has created a narrative about itself that prides itself on being exceptional. And we use that to break rules. And we have to know that about ourselves as a culture. Because it's like in Germany, they decide the speed limit is 70. So everybody goes 70 because they've discussed it and they think that's about right. In America, we set it at 60 and then everybody goes 70. Right. And it still functions, but then sometimes it doesn't because we create that... I think it's natural for humans to cast themselves as the you know, the main character in their story. Yeah. But I think Americans, we're taught subtly to take pride in that because that actually means that you're doing really well because yeah you're cutting people off in traffic. That's actually something to be very proud of, that you have that skill set.
0: Right. And like, I'm going to park in the fire lane and not in the parking lot <laughs> like all the suckers because I'm like on the top of this evolutionary heap. Yeah. And like any of these dummies could do it too, but I'm the only one smart enough to figure it out. And it's like, well, okay. You're the only one, you know, rude and self-obsessed enough to do it, actually.
1: Uh, speaking of horror movies, I wanted to ask you about The Purge. Are you a fan of The Purge? Have you seen The Purge? Do you like that idea?
0: Oh, that's funny. My boyfriend just sent me a text last night saying he was watching it. <laughs> it's weird you can bring it up. Um, it's been a while since I saw it. But I think there are really good ideas behind it. I can sort of imagine, like, some smart guys sitting around getting stoned and being like, whoa, what if there's one night a year? (laughs) Um, And I think, if I recall, it brought out a lot of interesting, like, class issues. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I've never, I have never seen the movie. I looked up the synopsis of it uh, because I was thinking about it for this because I think that I knew the central idea that there's one night where everybody gets to be lawless and the thought that that is some sort of emotional purge. Yeah. Um, and then reading the synopsis, I realized that there's class stuff in there. But if, if the purge was real, what would you do? What would be a release or cathartic for you if, if the rules of society said, in order to follow our rules, you need to go break a rule tonight. Yeah. What would you break? Because you're still a rule follower.
0: Oh, God. Oh, (laughs) shh. That would take me a minute to think of one.
1: (laughs) Well, what things do you do that you follow the the rules but you chafe against and wish you couldn't? Is it things like cutting people off? Is it traffic-based? Is it getting violent with people you disagree with politically? Is it...
0: There are definitely people where I have violent impulses toward them, but it it's usually more animal abuse. Okay. Like if I find out there was a dog that was starving and um, abused, then I definitely have that urge to do the same thing to that person. Okay. Or any abuse of helpless, disadvantaged people to... Um, You know, developmentally disabled people or elderly people. Okay. um, That is just the lowest. But I don't know if I would actually go out and do it. Like, the first thing that sprang to mind was just cutting in line, which isn't a law, obviously. (laughs) But, like, I see people doing it all the time. And you do get this feeling like, oh, why am I the only freaking nerd who is actually following the rules? Like, where is this getting me? It's getting me to the back of the line everyone else is fine with it so like it's not like i'll get arrested if i do it but
1: so if it was purge night and people were lining up to like murder people you would be you would be like i'm gonna cut in a line right but then when i get to the spot i'll be like no thanks on the actual murder
0: yes exactly i just wanted the joy of
1: cutting in line
0: thank you now i have now i have my plan (laughs) oh or i do something really crazy like um take 16 items through the 15 items or less lane <laughs> i just remembered this or i i was going through a 15 items or less and i realized with just terrible chest-rending horror that i actually had 17 <laughs> and i actually took all my things off the belt and put them back in my car and went to another irregular <laughs> checkout and I was just like, I can't be that guy. I can't go over to that <laughs> the dark side.
1: Yeah. Now, when you, when you think of it as the dark side, you describe yourself as a nerd for following those little rules. Is it a feeling that, like, society is a thread and when you break those little rules, you're pulling on the thread? And if you keep pulling, eventually, like, banking CEOs actively screw people and our society yes. falls apart.
0: Yeah. I think it can be for many, if not most people, um, a slippery slope. And I think that's why I think that is one reason why I'm so paranoid about it and why the whole thing about moral reasoning on a daily basis seems very much like a continuum for me with people who actually commit major crimes who, you know, burglaries and shootings and because i think it's the same sort of processes at work but it's just that the people who actually commit the crimes they have less impulse control than we do okay or because of like a multitude of developmental factors um
1: yeah and this is stuff that you've actually like studied yeah in your criminology yes right
0: yeah I mean, it's, it can start for a lot of people before birth. I, a lot of times people will read a newspaper article about somebody who committed a crime, and they're like, well, that person made a decision that I would never make, but w- the part that they're not seeing is this person, like, before they were even born, they might have been bombarded by, you know, these chemicals and alcohol, drugs, nicotine, you know, lead, traces of lead from Tenement apartments yeah. that permanently affects their brains and the the way they interpret stimuli and um, how much impulse control they have. Like most of us, uh, you feel like you want to punch somebody in the face, but you do not do that. And right. some people are really like neurologically unable to suppress that urge, and they have to go through, you know, actual training, like therapy, that yeah. teaches them how to not do that in a manual. Actually, creating these routes in their brains so that they are able to not do that. Right,
1: and then uh, other people also have the like you were saying the ability to walk through like this will ruin my day if I punch this guy who cut me off at the supermarket.
0: Right, exactly. It would be bad for
1: me, and yeah. then like oh, I imagine the pain of being punched in the face, and like yeah, that, all, all these different l- stop gaps to stop us from doing not stop gaps, but uh, various stopping points.
0: Yes. And there's usually layers of them. So that will stop, you know, the different people who have a different take on why you shouldn't do things. So like, someone like me would be more like, I actually don't want to hurt that person. And I don't want to feel that vengeance impulse in myself. So it's that like half selfish, half, you know, empathic. And then also, what if he can't work? That would affect you know he might have a family at home he might lose his job and then i'd be hurting like his kids and his wife and his pets and um and then there's the other sorts of people who are like oh there's a security camera right there they would catch me and i would be punished and that's the reason they don't do it yeah so there's, just, there's there's many levels to it. And, you know, fortunately, most of the time they work. I mean, crime, violent crime has been declining in the U.S. for about 20 years now. So, yeah. you know, a combination of things has been working.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was another thing. I don't know why everything about this is so driving related, but that was another kind of <laughs> observation of this whole idea that happened in my life pretty early on is my brother, who's three years older than me, just said to my parents randomly one day, is like, it's amazing that people just don't uh, pull their car over the line and just smash into another person because it's, it's just a line. It's just yeah. an idea. And to me, it's like, oh, that's deep thought. And like my mom pulled over and was like, you're not getting a driver's license. It <laughs> just terrified her. <laughs>
0: It'd be so easy, just a flick of the wrist, and I could... <laughs> yeah,
1: for him it was just musing, but now yes. in my adult brain is like, oh, that sounds... Yeah. Like, was that a Joker monologue that you were working <laughs> on? And it's just like, this, this the line is imaginary, actually.
0: Yeah, well, I think about, like, in L.A., the freeway, in theory... If I saw someone describe the idea of the freeway, (laughs) I would be like, no, don't, (laughs) just think of something else. Go back to the civic planners, because there's no way that's going to work. There's no way all these people are going to cooperate and actually, you know, and yet it does mostly work. There's accidents, obviously, but for the most part, everyone, like, weaves together and... It's kind of a miracle. It's also obviously kind of a metaphor for, you know, the the way the rest of our society works.
1: Yeah, it slowly grinds along. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Hi, guys. This is Obsessed co-producer Sarah Meyer. And as I do every week, I've come out to do some field reporting about this week's obsession. And I just got a goddamn parking ticket. So I am mad. Have you ever broken a
2: rule? Who hasn't? I'm sure I have many of them, and uh, probably the biggest one is not paying attention to rules. You're supposed to pay attention to them, right?
3: I speed. I know how to talk myself out of a ticket. Okay, do it. I'm a cop. I just pulled you over. Ma'am, do you know how fast you were going? Yes, officer, I have. I'm really sorry. Here's my license. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Give me a ticket. It works. Do you ever speed?
2: Well, the fact that I have less testosterone, I do much less of it. As I'm older, I just don't need to. But when I was younger, yeah, I, was, I used to race motocross professionally, so I was a speed guy. I liked, liked speed. And I did the same thing in cars, fast, but that's because I was young. Now it's more about being wiser. You don't waste and make mistakes. You can't afford them.
3: Before you knew that and you were still racing, did you ever participate in illegal street racing? Sure.
2: Are you kidding? All the time. Well, I'd go in Minnesota. With certain times of the year, you could slide your car pretty well. I'd go to the... Drive into an intersection, jerk on my handbrake, and spin the car 360 degrees through the intersection. Let it go, and you just go straight. And then so people watch you slide a full 360 through this intersection and then go on, and they think, what the hell's that? Right? And they all get nervous. Some old people get very nervous, right? But if you know what you're doing, probably you're not going to smack, crash. But you could. So it's kind of fun to test the limits that way. I don't know if that's not speeding, but...
3: It's, it's illegal.
2: Well, again, what, what's illegal? I mean, if, you sit and if your brain's in that kind of stuff, then I guess you're living in the system.
3: Do you ever watch true crime TV shows?
2: No, I don't. I don't like blood, I don't like gore, and I don't like negativity. I don't have a TV.
3: Uh, yes, I do. MSNBC, Dateline, with the uh, murder stories. Why do you watch that? I don't know. Um, I would say I'm really glad that I'm not in those shoes. If you could go back in history and punch any historical figure... For breaking what you would see as a, as a rule, who would you pick? Oh, Nietzsche. Probably a few, but I think the top of the list would be Hitler.
2: Uh, Richard Nixon.
1: He's pretty much scum of the earth.
3: Have you ever committed a crime? Yeah, I sold drugs for a while. I don't look like a drug dealer, do I? I don't know what a drug dealer looks like. You do too. <laughs> Come on. Thank God I didn't get caught. I was very lucky. Got me through school. So technically you were a criminal? Only if I got caught. So a person who breaks a law is only a criminal if they get caught. I would say so, yeah. You got a record then. What does the word empathy mean to you? Something that Donald Trump doesn't have. We're going to move
1: on to our how obsessed are you questions. So these are questions or variations that I ask everybody, and you don't have to be obsessed, so just feel free to answer them. However, do you think about criminal psychology every day?
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah, because
1: it's, I mean, it's a part of your career, right, Uh, Or future career.
0: Yeah. And I think most people do in a way. We get bombarded with news. Um, You know, you see something, you see like the name of a place trending on Twitter. And I think a lot of people, well, I do, like immediately think, oh, no, there was another mass shooting. Yeah. And, you know, we hear about celebrities getting murdered or, you know, stuff like that. And there is also the whole true crime genre that people are just crazy about. Whenever I stay in a hotel and I have cable, because yeah. um, I don't have cable at home, I'll be flicking through and it seems like every other channel is like terrible reenactments of horrible <laughs> crimes, and then like the nanny, and then another <laughs> reenactment of terrible, terrible A crimes. different kind of crime. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> why, why do you think that it's so popular now, given that you are sort of an expert in criminology? Why do you think people are obsessed with true crime right now?
0: I think part of the reason is... Uh, People are very afraid of crime right now, which usually uh, when I tell people that violent crime has been declining for the past 20 years. They're kind of like, what? Are you kidding? Things are more awful now than they ever have been. And, you know, people are getting assaulted on the street and women get raped as soon as they set foot outside the door. And um, because we have this impression from the media and uh, because there are so many news channels now and podcasts and, you know, you're obviously not a contributor to to this problem. (laughs) (laughs) But... um, And websites and and feeds that are just telling us constantly that everything is terrible and there are bullets flying. And I certainly don't mean to minimize the problems that we do have, but it gives us all the impression that everything is terrifying. And I think that it gives people a sense of control if they think that they understand more about crime. Okay. Like they watch these profiles of killers and they'll kind of file that away mentally that, oh, he was doing this and this and this. So now I know what to watch out for. So I'm gonna
1: keep my eye on Steve next door.
0: Right.
1: (laughs) He's a little bit of a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, to just be able to control and process the the fear of it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I also think social media is just you. You can hear about all the crime you want to in very very far away places. Yeah. Whereas 20 30 years ago, you just it would be very hard. You'd have to get a newspaper from a different place. Yeah. To find out what minor crime happened in Ohio today, if you don't live in Ohio.
0: Yeah. Well, or in Ohio, like yesterday or the day before and now we get it all instantly um and not just the black and white print report we have video and full color photos yeah i mean i don't think i'm not one of those people who thinks that technology is destroying our lives and like our individual psychology i think that the good that has come from social media and technology um far far outweighs the bad but that has been one effect is I think people have become much more fearful of crime, which everyone should be aware and cautious, but, you know, not to the point where you're obsessed with it and you're actually, like, limiting the way you live your life because of imaginary threats.
1: Right, right. Uh, next How Obsessed Are You question is have you ever had a dream about criminal psychology, about these kind of moral choices?
0: I'm sure I have. I mean, I've had dreams where I'll be very, very angry at someone and, but it's more sort of like a mutual combat thing. It's okay. not where I'm, where it's more like I'm defending myself than hurting anyone. Okay. Um, and certainly dreams where I've been hiding and someone is trying to get me or yeah. running. I think that's fairly common though. I think a lot of people have yeah, those dreams.
1: But you don't have dreams about breaking minor rules.
0: No, I don't think so. I
1: wasn't supposed to have the sprinkler on after 8 p.m., and and I did, in my dreams. Yeah. Because I'm so bad.
0: (sighs) Not that I recall.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, When someone walks into your home, are they able to tell right away that you're obsessed with criminal psychology?
0: They could probably guess, yeah. I mean, we have... Um, my boyfriend and I have a lot of weird stuff just around. There's, I don't know, the apartment sort of has like a, it's like a cross between a cabinet of curiosities and like some kind of like a swamp witch's lair or something. There's just like lots of weird art and,
3: um,
0: you know, we have a huge bookshelf that takes up like an entire living room wall and there's lots of criminology books and books about death and books about corpses and books about the funeral industry and stuff like that. Okay,
1: so people could see the books. But the way you're describing your apartment is like, is the bookshelf like twisted, gnarled wood? Is there like, you know, a wishing well in the middle that a ghost girl might be down? Like you're (laughs) describing a a real horror shop of an apartment, which sounds awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a lot of horror movie stuff, too. I mean, like I have two different sizes of the pumpkin head you know, the action figure and lots of other, like, horror action figures. Okay. And, um, like, weird posters and this huge painting of this creepy lady who's holding an apple and, like, yeah. staring at you. Yeah. Stuff yeah. like that.
1: Do you consider yourself a goth? This is kind of a side question. Because, I mean, with your your sort of public-facing persona with Manglewood, you know, your name being yeah. sound, sort of sounding, like, creepy, and you do generally wear black. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like I I have friends who are goths and I, like, I have too much respect for them to call myself one. Because okay. I think for a lot of them it's about the music. Yeah. About listening to, like, I don't even know what, like Sisters of Mercy. And um, I've never been into goth music at all. Angry um,
1: Pumpkin or I don't know. Yeah,
0: either. I'm more like... Like Lady Gaga and Katy Perry and stuff like that. (laughs) So like I'm pale and I wear dark clothes and I'm into horror movies and I don't think that makes me a goth, Okay, but it's not like a label that I actively reject. Like don't call me that
1: terrible word. Okay. So maybe like goth light?
0: Yeah, I guess so. And I have like big black tattoos all over my arms and my back, which are kind of gothy, I guess. Okay. Can I ask oh, what they I have are? like 150 bats on one of my shoulders. That's pretty gothy. Maybe I am. I don't.
1: <sighs> yeah, I think uh I think 150 <laughs> bats on your back trumps Katy Perry. Yeah. Just on the goth scale.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I guess you're right. <laughs> oh,
3: uh,
1: this might be my favorite uh realization I've ever had. I'm gonna on the podcast. walk
0: out of this apartment. I do have hundreds
1: of bats on my back. <laughs> And I can control animals with my mind. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, uh, back to the other how are you questions. Would you swear at someone who disagreed with you about criminal psychology or about sort of the general human morality?
0: Yes, I think so. Yes, definitely. I've definitely scolded people I was with and, like, slapped their hands. Like, if they took something out of a salad bar and ate it without paying for it, or, like, took a grape... In the yeah. grocery store and popped it in their mouth before they had paid for it. Yeah. That I, I definitely have been like, I can't believe you just did that. What? And they're like, no big deal. It's just one grape. they're like, that's exactly the problem. Millions of people <laughs> saying just one grape. That's millions of grapes. You know, and I know it sounds crazy and like obsessed, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why I'm here. Um, or, you know, yeah, somebody grabs like one crouton. Or, oh, or if somebody grabs a crouton with their hands instead of, like, with a little tongs. Right, and, so that's
1: two different ways society yeah. is collapsing in that moment. Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. And okay. I definitely say, so, probably not to strangers. Yeah. Then in my head, I'm just like, you know, I would never do that. So I'm better than that person. <laughs>
1: Okay, but you would you would do they do your friends generally accept it when you slap their hands and remind them that that grape is just one of the cornerstones of our civilization?
0: <laughs> I think my boyfriend does. And uh, he's sort of the same way that I am, so okay. it's not that much of a, you know, a dispute. But he might do something like try a grape and he definitely is like patient and loving about me being so obsessed with the (laughs) rules like that but my other friends i think are just kind of like roll their eyes and you know it's just you know it's just a cashew it's just great it's just a whatever yeah and i just have to be satisfied knowing that i've been bumped up in the ranks of good people and and (laughs) you know i'm above them
1: (laughs) yeah i could probably learn some from you uh (laughs) I cross against uh, streetlights when it, when it's clear that there's no car coming. I, won't, I don't like waiting for the little green person, Okay. Uh, which is clearly like a violation. But it's one of those things where, like I think I can look. And, and my wife has always been like, just wait. <laughs> and then here in L.A., downtown, they have cops on the street that their beat is to stop people uh, and, and give them actual tickets. So my wife got a ticket for jaywalking. Oh. Which she didn't even, it, it was, they have a law that you don't know about that once the numbers get down to a certain point, you're not supposed oh. to start. And it's just one of those weird moral things. Like my wife has always, she's been yelling at, not yelling at me. She's been saying like, right Wait, to me for years. And I've been like, I'm, I can go. Uh, and then she actually got a ticket for
0: it. Oh, that stinks.
1: Yeah. So I feel like maybe, maybe I'm learning something from that experience in this <laughs> podcast. That they should follow the rules
0: well, it's also like I mean, the whole have you heard <clears throat> the the broken windows theory? Mm-mm. it it's it, it has to do with um urban decay and also it ties into criminology where in a neighborhood, if there's one broken window, you need to fix it right away because okay. if there's one broken window then somebody will come along and break another one. And then somebody will see that there are two broken windows, think, oh, this is a crappy neighborhood, it's okay to litter. And then it just kind of goes downhill from there. Okay. So something like jaywalking, one person does it, and then other people see that it's okay, and then it just kind of, you know, goes downhill from there. Yeah, we're just the,
1: zombies wandering in the streets. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, so this is kind of a weird question. So imagine that you had a favorite book on criminal psychology. I don't know if you do. But um, there's one that's, like, precious to you. Yeah. Um, And you saw a bear come into your apartment and steal it. <laughs> would you try to get that book back from the bear?
0: What kind of bear is it?
1: A big uh, like, grizzly bear.
0: Oh, no, definitely not a grizzly bear. If it was, like, a little black bear, yeah. be, that would probably be fine. Yeah, I would go and I would, like, spank it. I don't know. Open, <laughs> yeah, open hand spank. That would probably take care of you it. You would
1: spank the bear. Yeah. And it would drop the book. Yeah. Uh, would you, like, try to sneak into its den and try to get it out, or would that be too scary?
0: Oh, that's exciting. That would be, like, a video game. That would be, like, (laughs) Skyrim or something. Like... (laughs) um... Yeah, you know, I probably, I might do that. Like in theory, I mean, that would be so exciting. Like going and and staking out and and waiting for it to leave, and you're not really sure if there's another bear in there or not, and you don't know how long that bear is going to go, because like, what if it was just going out to take a piss or something yeah. and it's coming right back? Um, so yeah, I, that I'm, I yeah, I think I would. Okay, try to steal it back. That, that's just very exciting. Yeah. Either. Okay. Yeah.
1: Excellent. Good to know. Uh, this is the last. Uh, how obsessed are you? Question. It is a weird one, but I ask it of everyone. If you couldn't talk about criminal psychology without you or someone you love first being punched in the crotch, would you still talk about criminal psychology?
0: No, I don't think I would. I don't want anyone to get punched in the crotch.
1: Because that's rule-breaking, right?
0: Well, yeah. I don't know. Well, actually, my immediate thought was my dad um, had prostate cancer this year. <laughs> I'm sorry. So he just had a prostatectomy a couple months ago. So that was like my first thought. So I was going to punch my dad in the crotch when he got his prostate out. Um, so... Yeah, even people who seem like they suck, I, I, I just can't, I don't have it in me to genuinely want to hurt yeah, them. Yeah, you're so. just too,
1: empathy is just too important, uh, yeah. a part of your life. Yeah. So if that was the rule, if some strange, uh, powerful force came along and said, this is the way it's going to be, you can't do this without someone you love or yourself being punched in the crotch, you'd be like, that's fine, I can do comedy writing too go oh, like the whole criminology I, can, thing.
0: I could choose myself to get punched? Yeah. Oh, oh, well, the, yeah, I would do it then. As long as it was me getting punched okay. and not somebody that I cared about.
1: Right, because you just have too much empathy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because it's important to my self-image as a perfect person who is superior to all the other people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if all it takes to be perfect is to be punched in the crotch every once in a while.
0: I can, yeah, I can handle A
1: that. small price to pay. <laughs> Uh, I asked people to make a noise to sum up their obsession. Can you make a noise to sum up your obsession with criminal psychology? Oh,
0: can I can't do it, but I wish I had an app that could play the Wilhelm scream. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can drop the Wilhelm scream in. Oh,
0: that would be good. That would be great. <laughs> we'll just drop the Wilhelm That's scream it.
1: in right here. Yeah. <gasps> there it went. Beautiful <laughs> Wilhelm scream. Uh, I love that. Uh, is, it, is the noise because it's a combination of like tr- true horror and comedy?
0: Yeah, I think so. Because you do you hear it in genuinely scary, terrible movies. Yeah. And you also hear it in completely goofy, like comedy, vampire, Frankenstein movies. Yeah, yeah. Cool,
1: cool. Well, I've been rating people's obsession Uh, with seven is the highest number, just because I like the number seven. So I'll say out of seven bats, (laughs) not as as many as 150. So out of seven bats, uh, I think you are about five out of seven bats obsessed with criminal psychology. Okay, good. Were you thinking it was going to be higher or lower?
0: Oh, no, I don't. No, I mean, because like my my entire life doesn't completely revolve around it. I mean, obviously, I do the comedy writing. I watch a lot of comedy. I play video games. I do all this other stuff. It's not like...
1: Yeah, it's not all you ever think about, but it is also, yeah. it's kind of a deeper obsession because it is, it informs how you live your life. Yeah. Right? And yeah. then also that whole, is a master's degree that you have yes. in criminology? Yeah. That's kind of a big thing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's also, yeah, but it's not like the only facet of of what I do and who I am. So I wouldn't put it out as seven.
1: Okay. So. But is five good? Is that too too many bats? No, that's good. Okay, good. Excellent. So five out of seven bats. Can you uh, tell people where they can find you on social media and anything else you want to plug?
0: Well, on Twitter, I'm at Manglewood, and it's just sort of spelled how you would think. (laughs) M-A-N-G-L-E-W-O-O-D. And I don't know, I'm on Facebook, too, and stuff like that. But mostly it's just Twitter. Okay.
1: At Manglewood, where the bears live and have their caves full of stolen books.
0: Yeah, and there's like almost no criminology stuff there. It's all just ridiculous photos and stupid jokes. Yeah, and
1: very, very funny stuff. People can check out your work at Rift Racks, obviously.
0: Yep. Um, if you go to my Twitter account uh, you should definitely check out the media the photos because there's lots of photos of my cat Magpie so (laughs) she's the only other thing I want to plug she's the greatest cat
1: that's the best plug I've had somebody just saying (laughs) my cat go follow my cat Uh, here's some quick plugs uh, for the show here before our final questions you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw you can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter is at Obsessed Podcast for info on all my upcoming shows you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com there are two ways to support Obsessed you can back us on Patreon and get exclusive bonus episodes every month. For full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw, or you can support all the podcasts on the Feral Audio Podcast Network by shopping through our portal. Just go to feralaudio.com, click the Support Our Artist button, and shop on Amazon, and some of the money will go to supporting Feral Audio. What do you think uh, people should buy on Amazon if they went through the portal for Feral to support us? What What's a good thing to buy on Amazon that uh, reflects your obsession?
0: I can I say something that they should not buy? Absolutely. There is this awful <laughs> book <laughs> called The Psychopath Test. Oh. By um, what, John Ronson. Okay. I, I hate that book, and it drives me crazy, and people read it, and they think that they're like criminology experts, and he he just like fabricated interviews, and he's like my arch enemy. Okay. Or one of my uh, many uh, enemies. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Is he your main enemy? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. So go to feralaudio.com, go through the portal, and buy literally the first thing on Amazon you see as long as it's not this book. Yes,
0: yeah, exactly. By
1: the evil John Ronson.
0: Buy something that you would like as long as it's not that.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Here are our final questions. Uh, They don't have anything to do with the obsession, but they can if you want. If you could build anything out of Legos and it would come to life, what would you build?
0: I think I'd build my perfect house. And like land. Cause I lived in a two bedroom apartment for the same apartment for 16 years. 16
1: years. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Cause I've, I, I didn't know where exactly I wanted to settle. And, um, I figured I might as well just stay out of debt by, you know, renting an apartment yeah. until I've decided. So yeah, I would build like a, just a little like one story house in the woods.
1: Made out of Legos. I mean, that's like a great modern fairy tale where yeah. someone comes across <laughs> Molly Manglewood yeah. in the woods in her dark Lego house. Woods. Would it be dark Legos?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, you know, like total tree cover. So it's like all shady and moss. And
1: and then the faint yeah. sounds of Katy Perry coming out of that yeah, house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of Katy Perry, if there was a dance move named after you, what might it be?
0: Probably the nap. Where you basically just find an open spot on the dance floor and lay down. And um, yeah, just put your arm on your head and yeah. fall asleep for like 15 or 20 minutes.
1: <laughs> I, I really like that in the context of songs that shout like, everybody do the whatever. yeah. The everybody do the nap. <laughs> everybody just leaves and finds a quiet corner. Yeah, <laughs> That's great. The final question for everyone on the podcast is, what is happiness? Real easy question.
0: I think it's, this isn't my line. This is something that someone told me once. It was, happiness is having someone to love, something to do, and something to look forward to. And I always kind of think of that triad. Like, I have my boyfriend to love. I have writing to do. And then there's always, like, a trip or you know, the change of seasons or something that I can think of that I'm looking forward to. Yeah. And like having those, that three pillared thing. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like a romantic partner to love. It could be your parents or whatever.
1: Yeah. So someone to love, something you.
0: Something to do. To do.
1: Not even that you enjoy doing, but just something that you feel active. Yeah. That you feel content with. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And something to look forward to.
1: Something to look forward to. That's pretty awesome. Do you remember Mm -hmm. who said that?
0: Uh, I think it was a psychiatrist who I was seeing, um, I have, like, all these chronic illness problems, and she was, I was consulting with her to make sure there weren't going to be, like, medication interactions and stuff. Yeah. And, um, it was something she said kind of offhand, uh, and this was years and years ago, and I always remembered it.
1: Awesome. Well, I think that's a great answer. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: That is our podcast. (laughs)
0: You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed.
1: Do you mind describing your other tattoos?
0: I have a solid band on my left arm that's just pure black, and it goes up into these black trees um, where these like crows and bats pour off into a spiral across my shoulder. On my upper back, I have a tree that has, like, one leaf on it. It's kind of dead, and you can see down into the roots. There's a skeleton that's tangled up in the roots like someone was, you know, like murdered and buried there a long time ago, um, and the tree has grown around it. And there's a serpent around that, and I have a big snake. Um, it's a python going all around my uh right shoulder and arm, and then there's, like, a little butterfly mandala thing. And my first tattoo I ever got, which is kind of lame, but it was a Celtic band, uh, which, you know, I was 18, and this was a million years ago. (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing. But I've never had it covered up because I feel like it's important. Like, maybe it was a mistake, but, like, it was my mistake. And, you know, (laughs) it still invokes that period of my life. And then there's, like, other... Oh, there's a big skull on the base of my back like in the tramp stamp spot uh with like wings coming off of it like the old like the memento mori you know on the tops of old gravestones. Um and oh, I have a word on my belly, it's Schattenjäger, which this is really goofy. It means shadow hunter, but it was from this <laughs> <laughs> it was from this old PC um uh game called Gabriel Knight and I used to love PC games, like, um, you know, everything from Sierra, the King's Quest, and um, Gabriel Knight was just, like, one of the first video games that I really fell in love with. And I love video games now, so that was just, like, a tribute to... Um, and I love that video game so much that I went to um, some of the locations that were used in it, it, it from in Germany. Um, <laughs> there was, like, a castle that was part of it, and I went to that castle, which is, like, at the top of this like mountain that you have to climb up. And um it's called Neuschwanstein. And I like went there and lifted up my shirt. So my belly was showing <laughs> with the tattoo. And I sent the photo to the game developer. And she was like, oh my God, that's awesome. Um, so I think that's it.